Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. And Lucy, I prepared some questions here to take us through your story, and we'll go through it. Go ahead. Um, instead of introducing you like I typically do, I have a I have a podcast, and it's both on video and on audio, and I typically will interview folks and have conversations with them, and I will do an introduction, but I'm not going to do an introduction because I want you to do your own introduction so we can hear from you specifically. Okay. And before we get into your story, I just want to share a small story uh, that happened just two weeks ago here in Las Vegas. We have, my wife and I have three kids. We were both born here in Las Vegas when we were raising kids here. Jewish kids in Las Vegas, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, our oldest son is in the Israeli Scouts program here. And two weeks ago, they had their kind of season finale program where they do a challenge and earn a badge. And we were all at a park together. And our youngest daughter, Lily, was with us too because they had a little family picnic as well. And our middle daughter was a little tired because she was at dance all day. So she couldn't get herself the strength to go to a park. Um, but I was there and I was with our young daughter, youngest daughter, Lily, who's six years old. And I saw Noah come through. Noah, who is, what's her title now with IAC? National, international superstar? <laughs> and that's her husband over there. Yes. And uh, Noah came and I saw her with you. And I said, can, can we go over? And Noah said, of course. And she took our daughter, Lily, to come and meet you. And... I was standing back and I was observing this interaction happening. Thank you. Remember this? Oh, yeah. So here's a picture from two weeks ago here in Las Vegas in Summerlin. And I stood back and I got a little emotional because what I'm watching is my six-year-old daughter holding the hand of Lucy, a Holocaust survivor, who this summer will be turning how old? If you don't mind me asking. I'm going to be 95. 95. I was 14 years old. I have one more picture. A few, a, few more, a few moments after this picture, Lucy was then interacting with the Israeli scouts, which is ages, call it fourth grade to 12th grade. And they were, they were around her. You could see some of them in the background. And you showed them your tattoo just like you did. And I remember you saying, Elohim shomeroti. Which is Hebrew God is telling me to tell my story for everybody. They should know what happened to six million Jews. And so I asked Noah, listen, for me that was quite moving. I'd like to do something with Lucy and my podcast recorded to put it out there. And she said, great. As you know, uh, Noah's a get stuff done kind of person. She said, April, this was April 2nd, by the way. She said, April 19th it is. Go ahead and get ready. And so, and so here we are. And thank you for being here, Lucy. You're quite welcome. And thank you for coming to listening to me. So now, if you could tell us, what is your full name and where were you born? My name is Lucy Jacobs. My birth name is Lucy Glick. I was born in Czechoslovakia. 
1928, July 15. How it's many, my real birthday. How many siblings did you have? We ha I was from seven children, and I'm the only one left. They and, all died in concentration camp. I held on to my mother on one side and my little sister on the other side. And Mengele, the bastard, he cut me off from my mother's arm. And he sent me to the left and my mom and my little sister to the right, straight to the gas. I didn't know. So I was yelling, Ma, don't leave me. Ma, wait for me. They were pushing her. The Nazis were pushing her. And she left. And I was a little girl crying, 14 years old, going alone on the street there between the wires. I didn't know where I was. Crying. Comes to me a guy. Never, ever saw him in my life. With striped clothes. And I didn't know. I thought he's mental. Striped clothes. I never saw that. And he says to me, little girl, how old are you? How do you speak? I says, I speak Jewish. Because I didn't speak Polish. I didn't speak any other language. I says, I speak Jewish. You speak Jewish? He says, yeah, I'm a Jew. He says, how old are you? I said, I'm 14 years old. He says, no, from now on you are 16. And I said to him, but I never lied. He says, now you're going to lie. I didn't know what he meant with it, and he left, and I never, ever saw him again in my life. Was he already a prisoner in the concentration camp? He was a prisoner camp? in concentration camp with the striped clothes from the camp. I didn't know anything what it meant. I was just brand new getting off of the cattle train and pushing me on the left and my mom on the right, and I was all strange, alone. Crying, kid. So he left. And I was pushed more in the camp, more. The Nazis were pushing. I got in with a bunch of ladies, older ladies than me. I was a kid. And they put us into a zona. It's called a zona. That was a place where they had showers. They got us undressed, naked, cut our hair, took away the clothes, and gave us a mumu dress, bare head, nothing, bare nothing, no panties, no nothing, just a mumu dress, a gray mumu dress, one fits for all, fat, skinny, everything went. And cut our hair. We were bold. Looked each other like monkeys. So they pushed us out, outside, for a count. What the hell they were counting us? Five in a row, like soldiers, to count us how many people we are. Only women. Men were separate in a different camp with barbed wires. They counted us, and we stayed in five, and they counted us in the cold weather. It was just after Passover. And it was still cold there, in past, not in April, March. And we were freezing, naked, barefooted. They took away the shoes. 
They took away the clothes. I put my clothes in one bed. I figured I'm going to come out from that shower. I'm going to find everything. No, we didn't go through that door anymore. So we were stranded and barefooted, naked, and we stayed outside for Tselapel. It's called Tselapel. That meant to count. And they were counting us. Why? I don't know. They counted us, they assessed, and then we went into a barrack, to a big barrack that had bunks. No pillow, no banquet, no nothing, just the wood. Three-layer monk. That was an Auschwitz. We got in there during the night. You know, a lot of ladies had babies. And they took the baby and gave it to the mother. And they sent her for work with me. And they were crying after their babies. Their milk was shooting out. And the assess woman came and started to shoot in the ceiling to keep them quiet. We got on those bunks, five people on one layer, started to break down because some of them were heavier, some of them scarier. And the third floor was coming down on the second and one. It was a chaos. So the assess woman came in, started to shoot on the ceiling to keep us quiet. We got scared, so we kept quiet. This was the first night Never forget it in my life. The next day morning, we had heard a bell, four o'clock in the morning. We had to get out on the count again. What they were counting us, I don't know. We had to stay in five like soldiers, and they were counting us, women, naked head, in that mumu dress. That's all what we had. That's all what we owned. Took away my shoes because they liked my shoes. Anyway, this was how our life started. It was not easy. I wanted to kill myself not once, but the barb, we, had, we were all surrounded with barbed wires, electric, all barbed wired. So if you go and touch it, you killed yourself. And they says they had guards on top of those little guards. And that's how we lived. First five days, I couldn't eat nothing because there was a mush garbage. I wasn't used to it, the garbage. So I didn't eat for five days, but I got so hungry that I would have eaten a rock. And I started to eat that mush. No, no choice. And walking around crying and crying, and so the chimney was going. Three crematoriums they had. Three chimneys were going day and night, burning the people. Gas them and burn them. And I smelled the smell. From those people, they were the, the stench came out from the from the fire. Three of them burned day and night because they were sending in a lot of people including my parents. And that was our life. I lived there in Auschwitz. Finally, I got to work. They picked me for work. I stood up on rock to keep a little taller. 
and they picked me for work. First, we were working. We had to change the water was going this way. We had to change it this way. That's how the Nazis wanted. So we stood in water and digging. And digging, and our feet got, don't ask. The, sh the shoes, I didn't have my own shoes. They gave me some wooden clogs. Anyway, we were digging about a couple of months until we dig dug the water should go the opposite direction. Then from there, we finished up the job. The feet were, excuse me, half rotten from the water. And, and I was picked from there to another job. I was a little frisky girl. And I was always stood up high. And the SS woman picked me to a kitchen. Oh, I was so happy. This was already more than a half a year I was there suffering. They picked me into a kitchen where they were not peeling, not washing, just cutting, cutting the junk. But they brought in with trucks and they shoot them down the, the ground and we had to pick it up, take it in the kitchen and cut it so they could go into a pressure cooker. So a big pressure cooker, a couple of pressure cookers, and they cooked them. It was beets like they gave for the pigs. Not regular. You know, we had to cut them up, and they had to be cooked. And that's what they served for the people. After they were cooked, we had to put them in cans, in milk cans, and they came and took sticks and carried them in, and they were given out by the blocker tester. She was the chief of the block, and she handed them out with the, with the garbage bag over there, what she had not a pot. And that was our life for a while. I mean for a while, for a good time. And from the kitchen, I wind up in the kitchen, and I cooked 700 liter pressure cooker. Twice a day I had to empty it and fill it. Twice a day, 700 liter, a big pressure cooker. That was my job. And the SS woman started to like me. They called me the Kleine Lucy, the little Lucy, because I was very frisky and very fast. <laughs> so, but that was our life. And sometimes I could steal something from the, what they put in and put it in the charcoal and burn it there and eat it. What if I got caught? Forget it. I would have been thrown out from the kitchen. But that was life. And this was going on a long time in Auschwitz until Auschwitz was taken by the Russian. How long were you there before, before that in Auschwitz? I was a long time. Uh, the Russians came in in January 1945. And I was there already before, more than a year. And the Russians were coming closer, so they put us on a dead march. They didn't want us to be liberated by the Russians. 
So they put us in a line, and they chased us under, walking, 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 walking. Some people sat down, and they got a shot right away, and they died. But some of us walked, dragged, and we were going from one camp to another. They didn't have room for women, only for men. So they took off the man, and the woman was still walking until we got to Bergen-Belsen. I don't know if you heard about it. It was a death camp. I arrived to Bergen-Belsen. They had typhus. Do you know and how many miles it was from Auschwitz to Bergen-Belsen? Do I measure it? I'm curious. No. I don't know. No, I was a little girl. I didn't know miles. No. It was really very tiring. We were half dead. A lot of them died on the road because they couldn't make it. I was pulled because if I couldn't walk, I had friends there. They were pulling me. No, you're not going to die. I guess it wasn't my time. They were pulling me. They were helping me. And then I wound up in Bergen-Belsen after a year and a half from Auschwitz in Bergen-Belsen. And I said... This is a death trap here. All, everybody had typhus. No, no bunks, nothing. On the ground, we didn't have nothing there. So I saw my death. I said, I worked in the kitchen, and I would like to go and see who is there. Maybe I could work again. Otherwise, I'm going to die. So I took my chance, because if you went into the kitchen, you got a beating. You were not allowed to get in there. So I said, I'll get a beating, I'll get a beating. It's better than to die from hunger. So I walked in, and who was there? The Oberschaffierer, I don't know if you know what it is. He was an officer, an old officer, because he couldn't go on the front. So they put them between the concentration camp people to watch them and assess. And he worked in that kitchen. And I walked in. I said, I'll get a beating, I'll get a beating. And I saw him. I, my heart glue. He was the assessment that I worked for. I said to him, Herr Oberschaffierer, what are you doing here? He said, Kleine Lucy, I was called the Kleine, the little Lucy. Kleine Lucy, was machst du hier? I said, I just came from the march. He said, I said, I would like to work. I figured if I'm not going to work, I'm going to die. The whole camp was typhus. And no bunks. We laid on the ground. Not even a floor. Just the dirt like outside. That was our life over there in Bergen-Belden. And I saw what's going on, that people were left and like that because they had typhus. And I wind up working again in the kitchen and got typhus too. I survived typhus without medication. When I was liberated by the British... They picked me up from the ground like a baby. 
They only saw my eyes. They said, I only knew English, nothing. And they said, look her eyes, look her eyes. My eyes were bulging. I was no skin and bone. And they saved my life. They put me in a hospital and they saved my life. And that was my end. I went back home to Czechoslovakia to look who is alive for my family. I find a sister who lived in Hungary as a Christian. Now you're still a little girl at this point. And I was still a little girl. I was only 14 years old. But on the papers, I was 16. I was a little girl. I came home, but I, didn't, I, can't stand, I couldn't stand my home. I looked for my mom and dad all over. I couldn't find them. So came an uncle who came back from the army, to, from the war. And I fell over him, and I said, Uncle, if you're not going to take me away, I'm going to kill myself. I can't take it. I can't take it. I'm going from room to room to cry, and I don't want to live here. I just want to get... So he took me away, took me to Prague, and that was my survival. I got married. I was 16 years old. And I had a baby when I was 70. I married a man 20 years older. I had no choice. I had nobody to feed me, nobody to give me a glass of water. So I had to do what I had to do. And that's my life. Now I had a, God took my leg, gave me a stroke, but thank God he didn't take my brain. I'm thanking God that I have my brain that I could tell you for everybody what happened to six million Jews. And I was a witness of it. Right there and then, a little girl. But God is good to me. Brought me to America. My grandfather lived in America. And I lived in Europe, and this is what happened to all of us. We should have come to America years ago. But God, I guess, God did his own work. It wasn't so easy to come to America. And we had it. They picked us. I don't know why they picked the Jews. I don't know why. What did we do? We didn't do anything. I was a little kid. Well, look, it happened, and I have to tell God is keeping me. I'm 94 years old to tell the story what happened to six million people. Six million Jews were killed. Nobody did nothing. Nobody. America was sleeping. England was sleeping. Everybody was sleeping. Nobody did nothing. Nobody stopped those trains, those cattle trains, not to go to Auschwitz. Nobody. 
Where was the world? I'm saying, where were the people? Nobody stopped. They should have stopped the trains. They should have killed us right in Czechoslovakia, not taking us to punish, to be punished and to suffer. My mom and dad, they went right to the gas. And my little sister and my brothers, why? What did we do? We didn't do nothing because we were Jewish. That's why we got it. I think God forgot us. He forgot the Jewish people. You know, there were rabbis and there were a lot of, lot of Hasidic people. They were screaming, Shema Israel. Nothing helped. Nothing. They all went to the gas chamber. All, all the people, they made a selection, left, right, left, right. Unfortunately, I was sent to the left, my mom to the right, my little sister. I never saw her again. That was it. That was it. We traveled together in a cattle train. We were 60 people in one wagon, no bathroom, no nothing. We traveled like that for more than almost two weeks from Czechoslovakia to Auschwitz, to Birkenau. We didn't know where we were going. Locked. They locked us up. The trains were locked, not cattle trains, not regular trains. We were locked in. If we could have jumped out through the window, we would have jumped out. Little tiny windows and all barbed wires. So we couldn't even jump out. This is what happened to the Jewish people. And we didn't do nothing wrong. We were citizens like anybody else, working people. My daddy happened to be an animal doctor, a veterinarian, and he helped whoever he could. But God also took him. They didn't even live a day in Auschwitz. Same day they got killed. They burned them to ashes, and they threw down the ashes of the ocean. We don't even know. There is, was no barrier or anything. All, all down the ocean. That's it. I don't even have a graveyard to go to cry. No? I, I go here around to cemeteries and I light candles. Happened to be in Carson City just two days ago on Adelson's Plain. And I lit a candle there for the six million Jews. Yeah. I flew. Even I am a handicap, but I'm still going and doing what I can. 
Are you open if some of the folks here ask you some questions? Anything you want to ask me, I'll answer. Go ahead. Anything anybody wants to ask. Excuse me? How did you get to Las Vegas? Because I have a son here. That's how I got here. I lived in Florida. I was very happy there. And <laughs> I have a, my daughter passed in Florida. I had an only daughter who was born in Israel. And she passed on me, young. So I had one son here and one daughter there. So my son said, Ma, would be nice if you come here so we'd be together and I could watch you. And you're not going to be alone there. So I did it. But I made a mistake because over here, the, the weather is not good for me. <laughs> a lot of dust. And that is killing me. I'm on the nebulizer twice a day because of the dust. But you do what you have to do. You did it before, you're doing it now. What was life like before the war for you? Excuse me? What was life like before the war? Peaches and cream. <laughs> I had a wonderful life. I never knew from any bad stuff. I was a kid, 14 years old, going still to school. I didn't finish my high school, never. I wanted to go back after the war, but I had nobody to support me. When were you separated from your father? My father and mother the same time. Oh. Same time. When we came to Auschwitz, we were separated. I was separated and they were separated. I was sent to the left, they were sent to the right. I did, they didn't know where they go. Did, did your family hear anything about the Nazis coming before they came to take you? No. No, nothing. We never knew that there is going to be a war and there is going to be Nazis and they're going to kill the Jews. Who thought about that? We had a normal good life like you had here in America. Nobody knew. If we would have known, we still couldn't do nothing. To go to Russia? Where? America, you couldn't come here. This, you know, that time the president, he sent back a ship for Jews. Roosevelt, right? Yeah. I was a little girl, and I remember that Roosevelt, Roosevelt send back a ship with Jews, and they got killed because he won't let them in, right? I came legal because my grandfather lived here, and I had cousins here and aunts here. So I came with paper, with a passport. The only way you could come in here. And we were integrated in interrogated in Tel Aviv and all over, if we are communists or what. You know, it wasn't easy to get into the United States. We had to go through all that interrogation. 
And by the way, I'll tell you, I speak six languages. I learned a lot of languages in concentration camp. There were Polish, there were Czechs, there were Hungarian, there were Russian. You name them, they were there. All kind of Jewish, non-Jewish, few non-Jewish people too. Because they were politic. They didn't agree with Hitler, so they put them to concentration camp. Anybody wants anything to know? <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about when you realized it went past your personal experience and you realized the extent of the six million... Jews I can hear you. Excuse me. You get up. Come closer to me. Okay, go ahead. Ask me. Go ahead. No, don't cry. I know, I know. It's hard. Um, when did you learn and talk about how you learned the, like, past your personal experience, the extent of how it was six million people, and how did you connect with others to, to say, oh my God, we went through this, we survived. I mean, when, you know, you're one person, but then when you realize it was so, so, such scale. How, when did you realize that, and how did you even deal with that? Darling, I only knew all that after the war. In the war, in the concentration camp, I didn't know nothing. I barely knew my name. Mm -hmm. and, and how did you, was it through news stories or talking with other people, or how, how long did it take for you to understand? To open up, to open up, to right, talk. And, and to understand how big it was. I started to talk when I came to United States of America, which I was a young girl. And I started to talk, I said to myself, somebody has to tell the world what happened to six million people. And I decided I'm going to do it. As long God keeps my brain, I say thank you. And does that help you feel any sense of peace? Or is there any way for you to have peace? Or to have solace? Or Peace of what? Just to sleep at peace night. Peace of life? Yes, to sleep at night. I mean, you know, you take it as it comes. No choice. This is life. Everybody has a different story in life. And I have mine. Yeah. I know it's not all peaches and cream. But you live it through. As long as you're not in a concentration camp, you could live it through. You walk free, you talk free, thank God. So when they came to, to your house, and what they told you, where are you going? Where I was born, they announced it on the radio. 
all the Jews has to get out from their homes. And we were hustled into a ghetto. To a ghetto nowhere. We, we couldn't take no furniture. We couldn't take nothing. We just, the way we stood. I was a kid. So my, my mother packed in some food. And we were walking. Whoever took us in, there was a ghetto. And we had to go to the ghetto. The ghetto was locked up. So we were in a ghetto locked up right in our city. And we had to find a place where to live. So somebody gave us one room for all of us. We were seven children and my parents. And we had all of us one room. So we managed until we were told us to take, to go. We were in a brick factory. From the brick factory, they took us on the cattle train to ship us to Auschwitz. How long were you in the ghetto? In the ghetto, we were two months. Two months suffering. In one room, we were nine people. Yeah. She shared one room, laid on the floor. We had no beds on the floor. But we were still in our city. And the ghetto was locked. Nobody was allowed to get out or to come in. Nobody. It was locked up like we were already in prison then in our own city where I was born and raised. And my daddy worked hard and paid the taxes. Nothing helped. Everybody was looking there. The Christian people were walking around and doing nothing, not to help us. Not even bring us food in. We were already starting to be hungry because we were not home in our home. It was not easy. Life is not easy. Life is not easy. So you better cherish America. Nothing like America. Thank God for America. Lucy, do you remember what year you came to your grandfather here in America? Excuse me? What year you came to America to be with your I grandfather? never knew my grandfather. He was dead already. But do you remember what year you came from Czechoslovakia to uh, the United States? What year did you come to America? I came to America in 1948. No, excuse me, in 50. 50. Yeah. So my question on that is, did you ever consider going to Tel Aviv? Uh, I've been in Israel many times. Because I go there to Yad Vashem, okay. where my, my, I go for my parents. Okay. Right? T t tell us about, from Prague, you went from, um, after being liberated, you went to Prague, right? Yes. And I went you to got look married. for some siblings. You, you looked for siblings, and then you got married in Prague? I got married in Prague to a Czech soldier. He was 20 years older than me. And where did you go from Prague? From Prague, I lived in Teplice Shanov. 
It's another city, also Czechoslovakia. And my husband had a business, and I was a little girl. And he took me in, and I had what to eat, and I was already going to business. And that was my life. But then you went to Israel? because you said I you went to Israel with my husband. He was 20 years older. Yeah. And he was very, very jealous of me. I was a young kid. He was 20 years older. I was 16, he was 36. So I got divorced right here in America. Got divorced and remarried with a man with four children. I raised four children of his, American children. It wasn't easy, but I did it. I did it. I raised them, I cooked, I baked, I worked. I was not a lazy person. I'm driving a car since I came to America for years. Unfortunately, I got a stroke, so I can't do nothing. But I was a very brisky woman. Nothing was frightening me, nothing. Drove a car, taught the kids how to drive, everything. If you know New York, I'll tell you where I lived. I was in Scarsdale, New York. My husband had a business in New Rochelle for 45 years. My second husband. Did you live in Israel with your first husband? I did and lived in Israel for visited? 10 years. Oh, you did? We were the pioneers. We brought the ammunition in 1948. It wasn't Israel yet when we came. It was Palestine. The British were just pulling out. We came with the Haganah, the fighters. My husband was an officer in the army. So he was working with the youngest, with the youngsters, teach them how to shoot. We brought out the ammunition. I carried an ammunition, a gun, in my son's baby pillow into Israel. They didn't find it. If they would find me, they would shoot me. And I didn't care. I had to bring it. When my husband saw the gun that I brought it in, he almost fainted. He says, what did you do? I says, here it is. In my baby's pillow. Yeah. I was a dear devil. I was. Excuse me? You still are, he said. No, you I'm still not. are. No, I'm not. God took me away my leg, otherwise I would be still a, a dear <laughs> devil. But listen, age is a number. And that's what I am. I wish I could turn it back. But not everything. <laughs> <laughs> After I was liberated, then I would like to turn back, but not my back life there, no. It was not easy to live through a concentration camp. With the barbed wires, 
never in my life I thought I'm going to be like in a barbed wire place, not to be able to get out, not to be able to have food. Who thought about it? No? I was a kid. Happy-go-lucky. How do you get the strength to continue after such an ordeal? You have to ask him. <laughs> not me. He did it. He did it. God gave me strength. I don't know why. He wanted me to be here to tell you the real story. He's still keeping me here. And thank God he's keeping my brain. There I'm thankful every single day because of my age. It's already hard to keep the brain together. Lucy, I have two questions. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about your faith with God? Did this break your faith with God, or did it strengthen your, your, your faith in, in God? And two, did you ever go back to Auschwitz? Me? Yes. Never. Did, did you not see it as, as wanting to go back to show that you went back there and you won? I don't want to see that place in my life, not even in my dream. Not to go back. Uh, I suffered there and I won't go back. No. That's a no no. Tell us about your faith in God. I believe in God. God saved me. That's why I'm here talking to you. If not Him, I wouldn't be here. Plain and simple. I was a kid. I believe in God always. I was raised like that. My daddy raised me like that, to believe in God. My daddy helped peop poor people in the city because we had the money, so he helped them. Somebody walked over and said, Dr. Glick, I don't have Khalif for Saturday for my children. He took out money he gave him. He said, don't you ever say to anybody, not even to mother, that I gave money. You know, that's not a good deed, a mitzvah, if you talk about it. That's it. You give, shut up. Lucy, besides working in the kitchen, what did you do in the concentration camp to keep your mind sharp or to pass the time? To try to, you know, forget about what was going on and try to, you know, get through it. Nothing. They didn't give you nothing. They gave you there more to think about it. Nothing. They didn't give you food. They didn't give you clothes. They didn't give you a piece of bread like that every single night. Not real bread. It was like for pigs. But we had to eat it. If not, they stole it from you during the night. Yeah. That was our life. I never, ever dreamed about it that I ever going to be free. Hmm. No. But if God wants you, he does it. Why he didn't keep my family, my sisters, my brothers? I'm the only one from seven kids. I guess 
He chose me to be able to tell you all what happened. And this is a real true story, not a, not a, a made-up story. No. So, Lucy, uh, just um, so when they, when you guys got to Auschwitz, how, when did you get the tattoo? The tattoo I got after a half a year. Because they put me to work, and they gave me the tattoo because I wind up working in the kitchen, and I guess they didn't want me just have a number. And when I got the number, I was happy because that meant they won't put me in the gas. They were still putting in the gas. If you felt sick, that's all what it did, put you in the gas. No hospital or anything or any medication, God forbid. Bold, cold, naked, barefooted. Took away my shoes, gave me a Wooden clocks, I couldn't walk in them. That was our life. Worse than animals. We treat the animals better than we were treated. My daddy was an animal doctor, and we treated the animals better than I was treated. But if God wants, he does miracles. He kept me alive. So I'll be able to tell in America what went on with us. When you were liberated, when you were liberated, did you stay in touch with anybody that was also liberated? No, we all parted because everybody was looking for somebody to meet, a relative, a Polish. They went back, each of us separated. No. Lucy, when you were in the camp, at what point did you realize, you know, that they were killing people in the gas chambers? How? Darling, I was 14 years old. And when I was there a week, they bowled me, they took away my clothes, I was half naked, no food, I couldn't eat, and the chimneys were going, and I knew that they were burning the people. And I wanted to die, too. Not once I wanted to go to the barbed wire and kill myself. You just had to touch it, and you got burned. Did you actually see people? Excuse me? Did you actually see people go Doing and electrocute it. themselves? Oh, yeah. People that didn't want to live the way I lived, they went to the barbed wires, and they killed themselves. Didn't take too long just to get electrocuted. You were surrounded with barbed wires. I don't know why. You know what it said on the main gate when you walked into Auschwitz? Arbeits macht das Leben frei. They shouldn't live so long. You know what that means? Work means they're going to be free. Das Leben frei. I have a question. After the war, when you return to your house, would you found your personal stuff over there, like pictures or no. nothing? No. The neighbors took it apart. Wow. The non-Jewish neighbors helped themselves. <laughs>
look, there was our, our, we had a, a super. He helped himself. He went into our house. He picked up all the floors. He figured we hid the gold there. But he was stupid. My father was a very smart guy. Hid the gold in the wall. Took out the brick, put it the same size of box, and he hid it in the wall. Painted again the house. Nobody knew. He picked up the whole floor, the whole house, looking for the gold. So was it still there when he went back to the house? Excuse me? The gold. Was there any gold left when he went back to the house? I did go back. I did go back. But my sister is older for me, but six years. She was she was liberated. She was not in concentration camp. She lived in Budapest as a designer. I was too young to leave, but my daddy let her go to Budapest, to Hungary, and she lived through in Hungary as a Christian. She pretended. And she went home in January 1945. She pretended to be Christian when yeah. the war broke out. She wore a cross on the. And that's how yeah. she survived. Yeah. Yeah. She was a designer, fashion designer. She was 20 years old, so my daddy let her go. I was still a kid. And she survived the war in Budapest, and she went home when the Russians liberated Czechoslovakia. She went home with them. Did she take the gold out of the wall? Your Excuse sister? Me? Did your sister take the gold out of the wall? Yes, she knew exactly where it was because my daddy told us all kids to measure the steps where it was. Wow. Was a smart man. My mom sewed us buttons from gold here in case we have to buy a piece of bread. So we have a gold piece. Yeah, they took our clothes. Yeah, that was our life, our destiny, I guess. And God wants me here for a reason, I don't know what. 94? Ad as they say. In Hebrew, there's a, a saying. God forbid. May you live until 120, and that's what I said to her. And I said, God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> well, I don't want to live till 120. Enough is enough. <laughs> We're all grateful that you're here. Thank you. And grateful Thank that you're you sharing so your story. Thank you so much for coming and listening. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways Podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.